covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Welcome in. We have a busy program this week. This is one of our benchmark editions of the program, something we have done uh, every year since this has uh, been in existence. I think this is the third year that uh, that we have done this edition. Is It is the Draft Review Special, where we are going to bring in uh, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball in just a little bit. And uh, we're going to break down uh, the Brewers draft as best as we possibly can. There's too many guys who get drafted to really to be able to go through every single one. And this year's draft was a little bit different because the Brewers didn't have quite as many high-value picks as they tend to have. But that being said, still a really important event for uh, this organization. So we're actually going to kind of combine our social media conversation and our Down on the Farm report into just one big old long conversation with Brad Ford where we talk a lot about the draft. So that's going to be coming up in uh, just a little bit. As always, if you want to reach me, you can do so via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, want to leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast, all of that would be very, very much appreciated. It's really incredible that this past week, because what we do on this podcast is we try to look at the last week and we preview the next week a little bit, but it's more about reacting to the events that happened over the course of the last week or so. It does not feel like Keston Hira getting returned to AAA San Antonio happened this past week. That feels like to me that that was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, not a week ago, but uh, that was the case. This has been talked about a lot. I'm not going to say anything here that has not already been said, and the team started to play well again, especially uh, the Pirates series, which they ended up sweeping. So I'm not trying to dust up a bunch of uh, thoughts and feelings and emotions about uh, Keston Hira after we had moved on. I guess the one point I'm going to make, and you've probably heard this before, I'm probably not telling you anything that you haven't already heard before. The Brewers are very, very good at hanging on to assets. They don't let things just walk away. You know, you can really think about the times that they have let things walk away, whether it's in season or even when uh, in the off season when they have uh, let major league caliber players go for nothing. You got um, Naftali Feliz was one that was in season. That was a signing that did not work. Uh, Boone Logan was a signing that did not work. That was in season. Uh, some major league quality players that they have non-tendered, like a Chris Carter, a Jonathan Scope, uh, Scooter Jeanette that they let walk away uh, a couple years ago at the end of uh, spring training. So, it just it, look, it doesn't happen that often. They don't just let assets walk away for nothing. And that's why Keston Hira is not with the Brewers. Because no matter how much you might like it or might not like it, the Brewers have been winning, and they win by hold. Part of the equation is for them to hold on to as many assets as possible. They don't want to be paying somebody to go play for another team. That's something that they avoid at all cost. So Travis Shaw has really struggled this year. There's there's no denying that. 
He went down to AAA. I know it was on a rehab assignment, but he goes down to AAA, works on his swing a little bit. To his credit, he has looked a little bit better since returning. I, I, he's not the Travis Shaw that we have seen over the last couple of years, but he's looked a little bit better over the last couple of years. And maybe I'm just a loyal person. I am of the belief that a guy who's been a 30 home run hitter for you deserves a little bit of latitude. Deserves the chance to try to fight through it at the major league level. I think Jesus Aguilar deserves to fight through it at the major league level. Here's the bottom line. So many people are upset about Keston here and not being with the Brewers anymore. And I get I'm not trying to put you down here. I hope it doesn't come across that way. I get why you're upset. He's the top prospect in the organization. He came up to the big leagues, and he did a really nice job, and he made the team better. And if Travis Shaw and Jesus Aguilar continue to perform at the level they have been performing at, their performance is not equal to that of Keston Hira. That's a fact. Like There's there's no argument that. Now, now you can be hopeful that Sean and Aguilar are able to get things going, but if nothing else, there is now a clock on these guys. Travis Shaw cannot continue to hit well below 200. If we're talking a month from now and he has not clearly turned it around, the Brewers might have a tough decision to make. Same thing with Jesus Aguilar. That average is creeping up just a little bit, has hit the ball a little harder recently, but it's not where you need it to be. If he doesn't have a clear turnaround, the clock's running because they now know that they have Keston Hira. And there's people, you know, the, the reason it affects people that don't play his position is because really what seems like would make sense is you're able to put Keston here at second, Mustakis at third, and maybe a Travis Shaw at first or whatever whatever it might be if you know if that if you were to move on from Jesus Aguilar or vice versa. Either way, uh, all the parts right now on the infield outside of shortstop Orlando Arcia, everything is really kind of connected. But I don't I, I don't think being really angry at the Brewers about the decision they made, I'm not and I'm not just trying to stick up for them because of the position that I'm in. They made the decision to retain an asset. They made the decision to be loyal to a guy who's done a lot of things at the major league level. I think those are good things. I don't think those are bad things. Now, the net result of it, yeah, you got a really good player who gets sent down to AAA. You can argue that that's not right. But the motivations and the reasons for doing what they did, they're good motivations. They're good reasons. And they're part of the reason that since David Stearns has taken over this team... The team has overachieved on an every-year basis and why now the expectations for this club are so very high. All right, again on the program, this is our draft review special. That's going to be coming up with Brad Ford in just a few minutes. But right now, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, so the biggest headline was, uh, one of the two biggest headlines was probably Keston Hira going down. We just talked about that, so we don't need to uh, go through that all again. The other big headline was the return of Jimmy Nelson. As after 21, 22 months, Nelson returned to the big leagues this past week and appeared in his first game. He did that uh, this past Wednesday the results were mixed. He goes three innings. His first two innings were really good. His final inning, not so good. Gives up five runs, four earned on four hits with two strikeouts and three walks. He throws 65 pitches, 35 of which go for strikes. 
and he's back and he's in the rotation. Now, with the way the rotation is set right now, you got five guys in it, and you got two guys on the injured list right now. You really don't know how things are going to play out as uh, Gio Gonzalez and Elise Chassin do eventually get activated. Uh, they did push Nelson back a bit, uh, so they're gonna. So the fact that they pushed him back, I would not be shocked if when uh, it seems like Chassin's going to be the first one back. If when Chassin comes back, if they maybe experimented with a six-man rotation at least for a little while. The problem with that is you go six-man rotation, you play a man down in your bullpen, and after having Monday and Thursday off this week, uh, they go a pretty long stretch without any off days. So playing with a man down in the bullpen, that's tough. But all that being said, Jimmy Nelson is back. Uh, Him being back, him pitching in a major league game, quite honestly, is more important than the results. I'm not sure when the results start mattering more, but right now it's about Nelson getting out on that mound when his spot in the rotation comes up and going out there and trying to get better on an every week basis. Zach Davies picks up a win this past Saturday as he becomes the first Brewers pitcher ever to start a season 7-0. First relief or first starter, I should say, to uh, begin the season seven and zero. Now, uh, it has happened where a pitcher has joined the team in the midseason and has gone seven and zero or better. But this is the first time that it has happened from the beginning of the year. So Zach Davies in a little bit of rarefied air right there. Speaking of rarefied air, on Sunday. Uh, Christian Yelich hit his major league leading 24th home run on his bobblehead day, no less. And Mike Moustakis hit his 20th home run. So Moustakis gets to 20 home runs about 10 games quicker than he ever has in his career before. But also what's probably even more notable, Yelich and Moustakis are just two players who have hit 20 home runs this season, and the two are the first pair of teammates to each hit 20 home runs within their team's first 66 games since former Brewer Curtis Granderson and Mark Teixeira did it with the Yankees in 2011. Prior to this year, only three Brewers had ever reached 20 home runs at this point of the season at 66 games in. Richie Sexton with 21 in 2003, Carlos Lee with 21 in 2006, and Prince Fielder with 23 in 2007. So that's some... uh, that's some pretty special stuff right there in terms of what uh, Yelich and Moustakis are able to do from a power standpoint at this point in time. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something we've never done before. We are combining the social media conversation and also the Down on the Farm report because I don't know what to call this upcoming conversation I'm going to have with uh, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. But either way, we uh, jump into kind of the oomph of our program today as we get into our draft review. The draft wrapped up this past week, and uh, Brad Ford is set to join us to uh, go over what went down in the Major League Baseball first-year player draft. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. (laughs) 
The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. You may notice we are jumping right to, I guess we're calling this the down on the farm segment. It's kind of a social media conversation. It's a hybrid of both things. We're only having one guest on this week. I'm doing that because I have the full expectation that this is going to be a longer, extended kind of uh, conversation. We bring in uh, Brad Ford from uh, from Brew Crew Ball. Brad, appreciate. Let's. I'm gonna ask you one major league question, so that way we can like say this is also part of the uh, social media conversation. Uh, Brewers, right? They just took three in a row for the Pirates. Christian Yelich, Mike Mustakis are uh, the two guys that have 20 plus home runs right now. Uh, it's it's they're in rare air right now. I guess. Very general question because we weren't going to talk about the big leagues. Uh, how do you feel about the way the Brewers are playing right now? I mean, I'm feeling good, especially after a week where we kind of came off of the pitching playing uh, well under exceptional. Um, they really have that that game on June 4th where they get blown out of the water. Uh, Jimmy's start was a little disappointing, but the Pirate series, um, all the starters looked good. The bullpen had it, held it together. Uh, the offense was able to come from behind when it needed to and really blow the game opens or games open. Um, you know, the power's been there and uh, everything seems to be clicking in this little weekend series while they're at home. So I'm. I'm very happy with how they're performing right now. Last big league question for you, and then we'll get to why we're here. Are you of the camp that it stinks that Keston Hira got sent down, but you get it? Or are you of the camp that what the heck is David Stearns doing? Why is Keston Hira not on the big league roster anymore? Um, I'm of the first. I think it's very, like, if you've been following the organization over the last couple of years, you could forecast exactly what they were going to do. I thought there was a rare chance that uh, Travis Shaw would get optioned, which I kind of thought was the more preferred move, in my opinion, to get him back to hitting correctly. Um, But if you've been paying attention to how the front office works, you could really tell that they weren't going to make the difficult decision to bring Shaw up and Keston up and cut a first baseman, which is probably what the team other teams would do and be forced to do while Aguilar and uh, isn't playing well, but Thames wouldn't be necessary with all the left-handed bats that they're working with. Um, I think postponing making depth decisions is what this organization has done under the Stearns um, regime. So it, was very forecasted and i'm fine with it it sucks but i'm fine with it since we did this i think when i produce this podcast up i'm going to play both the open to the social media conversation and the down on the farm so people listening right now and you just heard that and you're like what was that it's not a mistake it's me being clever and creative or some version of being clever (laughs) and creative so there's that you make it work all right uh let's get to the draft this is why we're here Uh, The draft uh, wrapped up this past week. It went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Got to give uh, a plug to everything you've got going on over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. Not only do you guys do a great job, and it's it's you, but it's it's a lot of folks, but uh, you're kind of leading the way. Uh, Not only are you guys breaking down some of these picks, you're having uh, conversations and interviews, and you're posting transcripts and so forth, uh, and writing stories based on them with a lot of these guys. I guess just from uh, first thing before we get into anybody specific, is there anything that strikes you maybe when you are talking to these different individuals about the type of guys that the Brewers tend to draft? 
No, it really is all over. And I do look for consistencies in like their behavior or mentality. Um, it really seems to be more from a statistical consistency. And I think that's what the current organization is concerned with. Um, when I talk to them, their personalities are all over. You get the humblest, happiest, uh, you her like players who are like, man, I never thought I was going to be there. And damn, am I happy to be here? And then you get cocky, but a good type of cocky, a cocky I think a lot of people like, where like, I knew this is where I was going. I'm happy and I'll see you in the big leagues very soon. Um, and then in terms of like mentality, how they spend their time, what they do with their friends, how they relate to their peers, um, you get everything from people who uh, I just want to be alone walking in the woods. I just want to be spending time with my girlfriend. I want to be surrounded by 40 friends. Um, you get a lot of different personality types in this draft and or in the draft said period. And I think that they're not really scouting them uh, based on their personality. I think they're looking for very specific things. Uh, and the thing I'm finding that they're looking for, is, especially in hitters, is high contact rates because the org hasn't had a lot of uh, success fixing contact problems under the Stearns regime. And then they're just looking for pitchers who other people might not necessarily be high on, who they can get at either fair value or what they think is a bonus value where they're the team's coming out ahead and they're taking advantage of players they feel aren't necessarily well scouted by other teams and getting the best of the crop and think they're really playing the game on a level that everyone else isn't. Yeah, to, and let me jump off something that you just said, and I think you kind of said what I'm about to say in, in other words. The Brewers are very good in everything that everybody, every baseball team is using right now is baseball evolves and using the analytics and uh, just, just everything. The, the, the fads that exist in baseball, the Brewers are right there. They can play in that arena. They know what they're doing. They're as good as anybody in that area. But it also seems like to me, and I think this is what you were just alluding to, when there are types of players who all of a sudden are forgotten because they don't fall into what teams are maybe looking for based off the things that are really valued right now, the Brewers are able to go in and find the best of that group. They're, they're getting kind of, you know, the soft-tossing pitchers. It seemed like they went in on some of those guys. And we talk about Zach Davies, where if Zach Davies was coming out right now, he, he might not even be drafted with the profile. And we, we're seeing what he's able to do. So just because you're not being valued in that way anymore across Major League Baseball doesn't mean that you don't have value. And it appears to me, and you would speak to this a lot better than I would, it appears to me that the Brewers Brewers are saying, okay, baseball as a whole is ignoring this typeset of player. Let's go get the best of these guys because they're going to be available to us. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you see that with uh, players of all makes, whether it's players who are wild but have the intangibles, but they have showed that they're coachable and, you know, people see them as too much of a risk, but the Brewers see what they've been able to change in the last couple of years and they say, okay, we can work with this guy because this guy responds really well to coaching. Let's go get him. Um, but then also, like you're saying, like the soft toss guys, um, you know, you're looking at these success rates, looking at why other players are having difficulty with them. And yes, velocity is the hot button issue or like the hot topic in um, 
in terms of getting prospects, you want guys who throw 97 to 100. And they did get a few or a couple of those. But they understand the value in an out is an out and it doesn't matter how you get it and it like your pitches can be just as effective if they're 92 miles per hour we've seen that in multiple ways in the organization with wade miley with zach davies with brent Suter, and i think the organization is looking at like let's see like you said what everyone else isn't valuing and we're going to capitalize on it because we think that we can get value out of this in multiple ways, but still get a player who's going to be a substantial impact to the organization. And basically they're just taking advantage of these areas. Other teams aren't looking. It's like my theory last year. If you go back a full year, and listen to the podcast. I think the team takes advantage of looking into actual regions where other people aren't looking. So whether that be the Northern regions where scouts don't get off a lot, but her out a lot, but being able to actually put substantial resource into some of those Eastern coast players or places that people just don't go often because baseball isn't played there popularly like Hawaii. Um, I think the team takes pride in getting value where other teams aren't looking, whether it's players who you know aren't throwing as hard as a lot of people want their pitchers to be throwing, or whether it's players who seem too volatile, but the team is finding evidence that that player has shown substantial growth and they project them to continue growing, and that's going to be a value to them later down the road. If you want to find the archive of last year's draft review special, it was from June 11th of 2018. You can go back in the archives. It was episode number uh, 69. So that's the uh, that's when we did that last year. So you can confirm what Brad is saying is correct. There you go. <laughs> How many people do you think would actually go back and listen to last year's draft like, review special? 1.5% of the audience. Okay. And it goes up right now just because there's those number of people who are like, now I'm challenged, now I have to. Uh, but still a very small fraction of your audience. If, if people want to go listen, it's there. Everything is always archived. Um, all right, let's get into the guys. First pick, number 28 overall. They went with a college senior in left-handed pitcher Ethan Small. He's an SEC pitcher. He comes from uh, Mississippi State. When you see college pitcher who's a senior, one of the things I think is, okay, this guy could be on the fast track to the big leagues. Well, and um, I believe that's their plan. They've kind of mentioned that, that they see him as a guy who can really advance. Uh, he, you know, ends up um, – missing a year so he has his third year of baseball under him because he went underwent tommy john surgery but then he came back and threw a little softer but located better and had a little bit uh better movement to his stuff uh small's fastball is the thing that you hear scouts and analysts really talk about when it comes to him uh very similar to how we talk about freddie peralta he throws his fastball super heavy um it locates it very well and that's kind of what you see in players who um, he locates it much better than Peralta, but he throws his fastball basically the same amount as Peralta. But when you look at someone and you see that they locate it well, that's when you really see a guy who can move quickly through the system. Uh, lots of deception in his fastball, too, that um, is really advanced for any new professional player um i see him as a guy who's coming in and can really even maybe be playing in september of next year um that's how quickly he can move because he just has that type of profile with his uh, command and control and um his mix of pitches which is 
very good for how he is. I actually watched him yesterday in the Stanford game for the Super Regionals, where he went six innings, really only had one bad inning, and that was the first inning, which uh, can be attributed to an error that happened uh, on the third batter of the game. Um, gave up or no earned runs, but a run did come across the score and ended up striking out eight. And when I was watching him, you could just tell he knew it. he was able to put pitches once he got comfortable exactly where he wanted them, worked out of a frustrating situation, calmed back down, really has an advanced mind for pitching. So not just with his age and his draft status, but in um, his performance, he shows all those things that suggest that he will be someone who can speed through the system very quickly. In the NFL draft, if somebody has a ranking of 56 and they're picked 28th, people are going, that's a reach. Kind of the same premise exists probably in the basketball draft. So for people listening to this who are not as familiar with the baseball draft and how it's very different than other drafts for multiple reasons, including sometimes going what we would call underslot early so you can pick some overslot guys later. And, and we'll get into that coming up with some specific guys. But can you kind of quickly explain you know the basic uh, understanding of why people should not be freaking out about the fact that you see Ethan Small with rankings depending on where you're looking between 50 into six into the 60s yet he was picked with the uh, 28th pick absolutely so with drafts uh each team is allotted a total amount that they can spend and basically each pick is assigned a value so their first pick which was 28 overall was assigned around two and a half million dollars in value and then it goes down substantially after that where round two only has a million dollars round three only has four hundred twenty thousand dollars and it quickly declines so you're only allowed to spend that much before you start getting taxed. Once you go over 5%, you have to pay 75% of the overage. Um, additionally, on top of what you already spent, a 75% tax. Once you go 10% over, you have to pay 75% tax on what you went over and forfeit your first round draft pick. So there's penalties for overspending your money. By signing or by picking someone who is expected to go later in the draft and signing them for less than the value that they were assigned, that lets you move the money to other picks. So say you draft a guy who could go in the first round in the fourth round, um, and he really wants like nine hundred thousand dollars, but you're only allowed to spend four hundred thousand dollars. By drafting a guy in the first round who at where you have two and a half million and only sign him for uh, two million, you get that five hundred thousand dollars to use later. So it helps you spread out that value and make sure that you are getting um, able to take those higher profile players who start sinking in the draft. Uh, let's get into the uh, second pick, and that is, uh, and we were talking off air just a little bit ago, and I was saying, uh, I like JUCO picks. I think you kind of get the best of both worlds when you get a JUCO pick. You get a guy who's got a little bit of seasoning at the college level, but it's not a situation where you have to wait at least three years because they went four years. Uh, you're sometimes getting some high level talent, but coming out of high school, they didn't really have they didn't have the offers that they wanted. So I think junior college picks tend to be pretty good, uh, especially early on, because if you're at a JUCO, pretty good chance you're you're at you, you went the Juco route because you wanted to get drafted after two years. Uh, you've got uh, Antoine Kelly, who uh, was picked out of Wabash Valley College in Illinois, which is a place I have been to before back when I was broadcasting uh, junior college basketball and traveling with the team. Uh, what do you think about this selection? 
Uh, I really like it. He's a kid who bet on himself. He was drafted 13th uh, by the Kansas City Royals last year and comes back and says, you know what? No, I can be better than that and I can go higher. He did want want to become a professional, but he knew he was worth more than that. So he goes, he signs with the junior college team and plays for a year. He improves his velocity, he improves his control, and he ends up going in the second round. So really paid off for him uh, waiting that one extra year. High strikeout guy in 52 and two-thirds inning. He struck out 112. Also high velocity guy. Uh, he was, and he talks about how he really worked hard to improve his velocity. So last year, when he was drafted by Kansas City, he was topping out at 97. Now, because he went and improved his mechanics and added some weight to his frame, he's now sitting 97 with the potential to hit 100 in his near future. So he's a very um, talented pitcher who has a lot of skills that. Um, aren't teachable really in players. The one concern with him is that his secondary stuff won't really ever come in. Both his slider and changeup currently grade to below average. However, his slider did show average or above this year, which kind of suggests that he'd be at very least a dominant reliever. Um, I think the Brewers, as I, I was talking about those players where they see someone who showed big leaps and bounds thanks to uh, additional coaching and say, hey, if we keep working with this guy based on the growth he showed, he's willing to take based on the work he puts in. We think he can go much higher than this. And I think that's what they saw in Kelly, a guy that they can really um, – work on as a project and get more out of than what he's offering right now. At very least, you're looking at a 100 mile per hour lefty with two pitches who can really close down the back end of your bullpen. Kind of like a hater. He's not a hater, but in that terms of value for an organization. Um, but I think it's a guy, I think all their picks, even though they're technically reaches in the rankings and the first two picks anyway, um, are guys that they actually thought should go where they're picking them. And there might be value in that they could sign under slot. We know Kelly did not sign under slot. He signed for his exact um, pick value. And sorry, he didn't get drafted by the Kansas city Royals. Like I said earlier, he got drafted by the Padres Um, just Royals on the brain for some reason. Um, Anyway, nothing wrong with that. I think the Royals are a lot of Brewers fans, American league team. Uh, it's probably the Ned Yost and Alcides Escobar factor more than anything else. All right, and a lot of former Royals are now uh, with Milwaukee, so there's a lot. Right, you have yeah. Kane, you have Mustakas. There's yeah. a lot of that connection. Kratz Midwest. last year, yeah. Yeah, um, but, he, I mean, huge strikeout numbers. Uh, walks are still a problem. He walks a little bit more than five per nine. But, again, with the control improvements that he showed, I think the team's really happy. Also... Fun fact, he lived in Illinois, he grew up in Illinois, but he grew up as a Brewer fan, so he gets to join his favorite organization that he liked as a child. Um, so that's been very exciting for him. You can re- look up Antoine Kelly and read a few of the announcements where he's like, you know, getting drafted was exciting, but for me it was like, okay, next step, let's go. This is what I was expecting. But what really got me excited and pumped up was going to my favorite team. So true Brewers fan, super excited to join the organization. Um, And I think, you know, just based on his tool set of that fastball, and I do think his slider will be above average at some point. um, I think he's just a really exciting prospect to go in the draft. 
Brewers did not have a third round pick. There was also no uh, uh, picks in those competitive balance rounds. They uh, picks went away, and that's the cost of acquiring players. And you know when you go signing Yasmani Grandal and some of the moves that were made last year, just a lot going on. So to the fourth round, and they pick uh, for the University of Washington a catcher by name of Nick Kale. Seems like uh, we have the conversation all the time, Brad, when we're talking about guys at, in the minor league affiliates. Hey, is this guy going to stay behind the plate as a catcher, or is this somebody who's eventually going to have to be forced to move to first base or forced to move somewhere else? So here's another guy in Kale who maybe is not the best defensive catcher, uh, but he's got a pretty solid bat. Right. Uh, he's kind of a high floor player in my mind, uh, and it depends on which scout you talk to in terms of his defense. Some scouts see his floor as being a backup catcher in the major leagues, so they already really like him as a receiver. Um, but the problem with him defensively is he doesn't really have the arm strength to gun down elite runners. As long as his pitcher is helping him and he has a, a accurate enough arm that he can really stay on top of them. But... Um, it, you know, just missing that tool, that elite tool keeps him from being one of those defensive catchers that really stands out. However, I do think based on what I've seen of him, that he is a pretty good receiver and he should be able to stay behind uh, the dish with some additional coaching. When I spoke to Kale, uh, he talked about the one thing that he's looking forward to getting into is really calling a game because in high school and collegiate baseball, you never really get to call a game. Your coaches call it for you. They look at the scouting report. They give you the sign from the dugout and then you get the sign to the pitcher so um he's looking forward to getting to that and he talked about the confidence he has in his bat he really is good at making the pitcher work waiting for his pitch and making good contact on pitches he's not very powerful so we're not talking a 20 to 30 home run catcher in the future but he does have make good contact and uses all fields very well um to the and you know, probably has 10 home run power, uh, if nothing else, but through coincidence and is a decent doubles hitter. So he's a very um, contact walks type heavy guy, uh, which gives him a great offensive profile. And if he does stick behind the plate and comes up as at least a backup catcher who's playing every third day, uh, there's a lot of value in that pick at the fourth round for any organization. Um, you know, catchers are hard to find, especially solid offensive backup catchers who are also acceptable at defense. And considering that's what many scouts see as his floor, I think that's a really solid pick to be uh, for the team to make in the fourth round. All right, so in the first round, they went with a Mississippi State kid. Then in the fifth round, they come back with an Ole Miss kid and Thomas Dillard. This is an interesting selection. He's got good pop off the bat. He's a really good bat. Uh, he was always strongly, strongly, strongly committed to Ole Miss, so that hurt in terms of not being drafted earlier. But there, there's still a lot of people that talk about him not having a position, and he's going to a National League team in the Brewers, so DH isn't something that is a possibility. Officially, he's drafted as a catcher uh could be a catcher could be first base could end up in another organization and be a dh what say you about thomas dillard um i bear i see him very similarly to kj harrison who was drafted a couple years ago by the brewers um very solid bat uh but didn't really have he, he was probably a first baseman. And I think Thomas Dillard can be a first baseman. Uh, teams have tried him in a few different places. I believe he's even played some second base. Uh, but the organization, you know, looked at what they saw from him in high school. They looked at what they saw from him when he was catching weekday games this season for Ole Miss and said, you know what? 
we think he can stick there. So they draft him as a catcher. Um, I've seen people call him the poor man's Kyle Schwarber because of his power and solid bat. Uh, he's actually improved his strikeout rate, but he has great power, even hit a home run uh, the other day uh, in the regional super regionals game for his team. Um, so um, showed it off on a national stage. You know, I, I don't know. I think they're fine taking these players without a defensive home. And when they take them, I think Thomas Dillard has shown enough athleticism that they know that at very least he's going to play first base or like a left field. And that's fine. Or, you know what, if it really comes down to it, uh, because his arm isn't the greatest, uh, he could maybe get away with a left or right field on occasion. But I think that if they see him as someone who they can trade later down the road, like they did for KJ Harrison to bring back someone at the trade deadline, that's fine. And I don't think they see that as a problem, but they see him as a tempting enough bat where later down the road, he can be useful in a situation like that. Um, but I mean, the guy's athletic and he's more athletic than your first base corner outfielders tend to be, uh, you look, he does have is graded, below average running but he actually has 31 stolen bases over his last two seasons and that's because he's able to make good slides he can read the runners very well because he understands the pitchers very well and run in great situations because he understands baseball and has a high intellect and i think traits like that that you see where he can make get more out of below average tools than most people can get out of them because he's using them intelligently and optimizing his athleticism is something that shows that, Hey, this guy can just be a good ball player. Let's draft him, try him at a couple positions and eventually we'll find something that works because he's smart enough to put two and two together. And at some point, whether it's, he just learns how to read balls very well and is able to chase things down in the left field gap, or if it's, he does figure out how to catch and all he needed was more time and more refinement at that position. Um, we think the bat is going to play and we're going to get value out of it and we know he's smart enough that we'll worry about the defensive position later. I want to kind of interject here for just a quick second because you mentioned how he was uh, catching in some midweek games for Ole Miss and I'm sure there's lots of people who are listening to this podcast who don't completely understand how things work in college baseball and maybe don't even start paying attention to right about now as uh, the uh, College World Series in Omaha is going to get uh, started. Uh, Most of your conference series are on the weekend and you generally play this is generally speaking most teams play weekend series friday saturday sunday and those are the most important games of the year and then during the week you'll play tuesday and or wednesday generally where sometimes you play both days more often that you're playing just one of those days and those games are midweek games where your your top pitchers are going to pitch on the weekend you're not generally throwing those guys uh in the midweek game it's a chance to just stay sharp and work on things so when you say that uh dillard with somebody who was catching in mid- midweek games. In college baseball, there is a big significance between doing something in a midweek and doing something in a weekend. Right. It's almost like in coll- collegiate football when in the beginning of the year you play 
nearby regional teams who aren't that great, but you're playing them just to make sure you fill up your schedule. It's kind of like that in terms of level of competition in the midweek games where you don't care about it as much. And you'll hear when people talk about collegiate baseball, uh, Friday starters. Friday starter means that's your best pitcher uh, for when you're talking about pitching staff because Friday games are normally the start of your big series like Matt just mentioned. All right, let's uh, let's go to the next round. Sixth round, here's our first soft-tossing lefty to talk about. And speaking of the College World Series, he plays for Louisville, and they've already punched their ticket to Omaha. They've had a really weird last couple weeks. They struggled in the conference tournament. They uh, hosted a regional, able to just get by, and I think they just rolled through their super regional, if I've got it right, uh, a left-hander in uh, Nick Bennett, who uh, he's not going to even throw a fastball much higher than 90-91. Uh, he sits uh, in the high 80s so is this we were talking about before finding those you know soft tossers that can be effective does this guy fall under that category absolutely um i really liked how he thinks about attacking pitching so this is one the first player i talked to from this uh draft so when he we were talking he talked about how he works pitcher he talks about how he actually has different fastballs to give uh, righties and lefties different looks. Uh, he can locate his fastball well, uh, and if you look at the stats, he actually does have a fairly low walk total. And he probably would have gone a little bit higher if not for a forearm strain that happened kind of mid-season and pushed his performance down. Because last season, in 14 games, 73 innings pitched, he actually did 2.84 ERA, 72 Ks, 27 walks. Um, looked really good, but with that forearm strain kind of hampered some of his production this year and forearm strains can be, and I would say about 40% of the time do signal incoming Tommy John surgery and looming elbow problems. Um, but soft throwing lefty, um, he has one hell of a curveball that he'll throw just as much as his fastball because he trusts it that much. He says, you know, he knows he's going to locate that pitch and he'll throw it in any count. Um, and then the way he, and he has a change up that he will throw to both sides, although generally more to righties than to lefties. And then his cutter is his special pitch that he throws to lefties to give them a different look at movement than just his um, two seamer that he throws. Um so I, I just think he, the way he goes about pitching is so intelligent uh, when talking to him and the way he thinks about attacking hitters is, you know, very just high level game instinct from this kid. So I think it's another example where, yeah, he throws he's going to peak at 92, but he goes at hitters so intelligently that hitters end up having a difficult time with it. And he knows his job's just to get outs. He's not going there for strikeouts. Strikeouts happen, and he's happy that they happen. But he just wants to go, and he wants to get an out. Um, I think he's so ready for his age. I mean, he came out and was a starter as a freshman, which is kind of a rare thing for rotation. Um, A lot of pitchers come in, and they start at the bullpen, then move to the rotation in their sophomore junior year. Um, I think the Brewers kind of got a steal due to his forearm strain and his injury. Um, and I'm pretty excited about what he can do despite the low velocity coming from him. Seventh round, and this is an interesting pick. They went with Gabe Holt. He is from Texas Tech. He is a draft-eligible sophomore, which doesn't exist all that ha- all that often in college baseball. Generally, you're not draft-eligible until you get to your uh, junior year. Uh, there's... 
potentially some signability issues in terms of Holt and him being able to uh, then getting something done there as far and instead of returning to Texas Tech. Uh, what do you think is going to happen here? What do you think of this selection? Uh, so I'm pretty confident he's going to sign. Based on our conversation, uh, you know, he had a very firm number that he was expecting coming in. Um, and he actually turned the draft off after he didn't go in the fourth round because that's where around his number was. The Brewers called and said, yeah, we'll meet that price tag. And it sounded like his expectations had been met. He had the leverage that he wanted. He would have gone back if he had to. But based on our conversation, it does sound like he's signing with the team. Uh, very high speed guy. Again, someone without really a defensive home in the draft. Um, he plays some second base, has played a little bit of shortstop. Uh, but he thinks probably the place that he'll thrive the most is center field. And the reason for that is although he doesn't have great instincts at watching balls come off the bat, but he has elite speed very very good speed coming from Gabe Holt um, so he can kind of use that to make up for some of the misplays in center field where he might jump right when a ball is going left and the speed will come up for that uh, you know in just 59 games played uh, he has uh, da, 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 I know this 28 stolen bases um, so I mean, he's a top speed, potentially 60 stolen base type guy. Uh, good at making contact. Great bat profile, although he doesn't hit for the most power in the world. Uh, some more power still might come despite him being older because he is a redshirt sophomore, which is why he ends up being draft eligible. Um, but I think uh, the hard thing with him is they're, they're looking at someone who doesn't have a defensive home saying, like, we think we can find a home for him or we think we'd be comfortable with him playing center or right field where he's been playing a lot in the college World Series and super or in the super regionals, I should say. Um, hey, we're going to take him and we're going to sign him just because other teams passed and he's available and we're going to have that spare money to get him. It's worth noting, and again, the baseball draft is so different. I know I'm kind of interjecting every once in a while with just kind of notes and, and caveats about what's going on. You can, you can if you're not a senior, a college senior, you can return to wherever you're going. And then you're, you don't stick with the team that drafted. You become draft eligible again the next year. And you can get drafted as many as five times. It's potentially that you could get drafted out of high school. Then if you go to a JUCO, you could be drafted after two years. If you have a redshirt year, year at a four-year college after a JUCO you could be drafted after your redshirt year your junior year and your senior year there are guys who get drafted five separate times uh, that it's not it's not common but it's happened and it is common for somebody to get drafted two or three times so the threat to return to school for another year that could be a real threat yeah absolutely especially negotiations I mean that's collegiate players have that leverage and that's what ends up benefiting them the most. And um, some teams don't want to deal with the leverage because they know that, hey, that person can argue for the money they feel they deserve. But other teams are willing to take that risk and meet the price. And it ends up benefiting teams like Milwaukee when someone slides because someone else they want to meet their price and they end up getting basically two third rounders in terms of value. All because other teams didn't want to come up and pay this guy uh, because of his leverage and him dropping in the later rounds. Moving on, they go to uh, from one Big 12 Texas school to another Big 12 Texas school. They take a shortstop from the University of Texas in uh, David Hamilton in the eighth round. 
Yeah, uh, so this is a very interesting pick. Hamilton actually ruptured his Achilles this year and missed a big chunk of the season because of that. Um, Someone compared him to this year's Drew Rasmussen, where the Brewers are hoping to get this injured guy falling in the draft because of his injury and end up get a guy with gigantic tools. Um, He's a lefty shortstop with fantastic speed, uh, great athlete, and uh, definitely able to stick at shortstop with his speed and defensive capabilities. The... One concern with him is a substantial lack of power. Um, and there was room for growth in his frame at only 5'11", 170, definitely able to add more muscle to that. But he never really got to show if he added more muscle and added more pop because of the Achilles injury. So Brewers are kind of taking the wild card. This is their wild card pick and hoping that uh, he signs and they end up getting a guy who has more talent than anyone expected and people avoided simply because of that injury. Interestingly enough, we get to round number nine and they finally select a high school kid. And there's been a lot of talk recently. I was actually, I was uh, texting with WTMJ's Justin Garcia, who was a guest on the podcast last week. And he mentioned to me that he had recently read something in the wall street journal that said, uh, high school draft picks are, are becoming less and less common in the baseball draft. I haven't read the piece yet. It's something I certainly want to read, but in the ninth round, they finally go to a high school kid. Uh, they head to Fresno, California and from Clovis high school, they get uh, Darian Miller, who is, is listed as a catcher. Uh, not a lot about this guy out there. What do you know? Uh, left-handed swing makes very good contact. Um, has a little bit of pop from the left-handed side. I've seen some uh, scouts actually say very under the radar pick, but what the scouts that did see him when they went out there um, really liked what they saw. Saw great projection in his hit tool and his power, and think just based on the athleticism that he showed should be able to stick behind the plate has a decent arm uh when i talked to him he seemed very confident about his catching game and defensively and what he is able to do he thinks he's come a long way and you know really helping pitchers get through the game with his receiving skills and also limiting runners um but very proud in who he is as an offensive player. Really works to make good contact, works to make pitchers work to him and take a lot of walks. Seems kind of like uh, very similar to Nick Kale with a better arm and better power projection than Kale. Um, I think this is an example of what we were talking about earlier, where they pride themselves into going into regions or areas where other people aren't watching and getting people who just aren't being paid attention to. Um, and I think Darian Miller falls into that funnel very well. Um, I believe he'll sign with the Brewers and they'll get their third catcher of the draft and get a guy with a very, very high ceiling. Um, the only real knock on him that I can see consistently, lots of back and forth about whether he'll be able to catch, but that happens with all catchers, um, is just his height. He's a little undersized for the position. Um, but I don't think the Brewers really care about what size you're supposed to be for a particular position. They care more about what their stats say and what their video says. And I, they believe that he is a very good hitter with a lot of great projection. 
Speaking of being places that people are not, clearly Brewer Scouts are spending some time in Lubbock, Texas, which is, as somebody who used to cover Big 12 sports, I never looked forward to going to Lubbock. It was it and Waco were the two places I did not like going to uh, inside of uh, inside of the Big 12. Uh, they, fi- they get another Texas Tech kid in the 10th round in pitcher Taylor Floyd. Yeah, and based on I had a conversation with Taylor, and I do not think he expected to go in the top ten rounds. I think he was kind of unsure if he'd go drafted at all. So I think this is a player who they expect to sign for under slot. Um, another soft tosser, uh, but from the right side, he'll peak at ninety four, but he sits eighty nine, ninety two. Uh, has a decent slider and changeup that both sit in the lower eighties. But he he's a command pitcher who wants to really locate efficiently. Uh, hasn't had the greatest results in his time at Texas Tech. Wasn't one of their top pitchers. And maybe they see that as a chance to sign someone for underslot and get a little value in him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he did have some stiff competition in the other teammates that he was going up against and trying to... Um, you know, earn playing time against. But when you look at him, uh, you know, he really functioned more in relief where he, you know, ended up keeping a low ERA, only started one game in his time there. Uh, Didn't really pile up the strikeouts, though, because he is kind of a command bad contact pitcher. So I think the org is just kind of going with a wild card here, a guy with collegiate experience, a guy with kind of an advanced arsenal in terms of location. Um, He also was a former Juco pitcher who transferred into Texas Tech. Um, But I, I, I think they don't draft players who they think are going to be bad. I think he just is, um, a player who doesn't have the tools that stands out in the top 10, like everyone else's kind of tool set. And I think they're going to save the two places where they're probably going to end up saving the most money in terms of draft capital is with Ethan small at the first pick or number 28 overall. And then Taylor Floyd here in the 10th round. All right, so I should have explained this at the beginning of our conversation, but I was too busy trying to be clever and creative on calling this both our social media conversation and the Down on the Farm. Uh, what we're doing, Brad, is we're going through all the guys in the top ten rounds, and then we're we, – look, as much as I'd love to talk to you for six hours, we don't have time to go through every single selection. So now that we're through the top ten, we're going to kind of pick and choose some more interesting guys from uh, later in the draft and – coincidentally enough our first plus 10 guy is the next guy in the 11th round in uh brock Begg. he comes he's a juco guy from uh, cuyahoga community college in ohio and what a story this guy has right so he actually at a very very young age uh the infancy actually suffered strokes and seizures which um you know really truly threatened his life when he was younger um they weren't sure if he'd make it when he did end up making it obviously um he didn't have feeling on the right side of his arm uh beg was one of the guys i actually was lucky enough to talk to and he's like you know I never, ever noticed the difference. For me, life has always just been that way. It was normal for me. And I just, it's been that way my entire life. So it doesn't really matter to me. And I don't think it changes the way I play baseball. Um, Another guy who 
you know, throws from the left side, but sits in those lower 90s area. But he had a lot of success at junior college. Uh, you know, went 69 two thirds this year, striking out 94. So he's another very high strikeout junior college pitcher. Um, shows an advanced arsenal that I think is very underrated. And I think it's another example of the Brewers watching players and areas that other teams aren't allocating enough resources to because um, he is a workhorse. Uh, He has high strikeouts and very deceptive pitches. Uh, He has great control. He only allowed 18 walks in those nearly 70 innings. And he really keeps the ball from flying out of the park. I like everything about bag. I think that if teams were watching Juco pitchers, more earnestly and putting more effort into scouting those he would have gone higher but the brewers took him at 11th because they're like holy crap he's past the 10th round we have to get this guy and i think they're very happy with getting him and i think he has potential to be a lot of value to the organization um and has one of the higher ceilings in the draft. I mean, he still has room to grow as a Juco pitcher. Um, there's definitely where Ethan small is basically what you're going to get. And they can make small improvements to his game. There's growth opportunity for bag and he can still kind of grow out his arsenal and continue advancing from where he already is. Um, he is signing. I think he signed today and he'll be at Colorado Springs. Um, which is no longer the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. Uh, what are they? The Rocky Mountain Vibes. Vibes. You're making That's me sad, Brad. I kept wanting to say Rocky Mountain Smokies just because I can't. I just keep imagining their marshmallow on fire smoking. And, uh, you know, I have to make you sad this time because last time we talked, I definitely did not lie about your guy, Nate Greep. No. Well, uh, sidebar, another little interjection. So as a broadcaster, I spent six years broadcasting Colorado Springs Sky Sox baseball. The Sky Sox don't exist anymore. It's like it, it may it it takes. I'm I'm a little more empty inside because they don't exist anymore. Right. I mean, it's a a part of your past. I've worked in radio, and I know what it's like when a radio station that you worked at gets absorbed or destroyed by a bigger radio station and doesn't exist anymore. And it's sad that you can't go back to a place that means a ton to you. But also get over it. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. um, As we move on quickly, so I don't get too mad at you, uh, (laughs) I want to ask you about this guy more so because of who he plays for, because in the Super Regional round, I think there's probably been more attention on Vanderbilt than maybe any other team. Uh, They got down to Duke in the first game, losing. Second game, they had a no-hitter. And um, As we speak on Sunday night at 7.08 p.m. on Sunday, June 9th, they are up 12-2 against Duke in a game that's being delayed. So Vanderbilt, it appears, has all but punched their ticket to Omaha and the College World Series. In the 13th round, they uh, select a pitcher, uh, Jackson Gillis, and uh, he's someone, he's got pretty good zip on his fastball that's the thing that uh i i most notice about him is there anything that uh more that you can say about him uh not really he did deal with a little bit of an injury this year which kind of kept him from making regular appearances but he's uh been mostly a bullpen pitcher um has allowed quite a bit of runs in uh in his first appearance anyways um high strikeout guy because he does have life on his balls as you mentioned um but 
I mean, I I don't know if he's much more of a pitcher of note or more that the organization well need relievers and they drafted a reliever who can fill that role and maybe he'll come out as a reliever later but i think he's more of you know at every level you need a relief pitcher in some way or another all right let's get to round number 20 and we got a high school kid from uh, west lake high school in georgia he's a shortstop by the name of miles austin and if if they do sign him and if everything works out, this is where where how you handled the beginning of the draft probably plays out, right? Isn't this a is this a signability issue, kid, right here? Right. So he was ranked at 116 um, by Baseball America in their top 500. I think around 120, if at all, in the let's see if he was ranked at the because uh, I just happen to have it up. Uh, no, he was unranked by Prospect Watch. So a guy a lot of people had different evaluations on when looking at the draft. Um, high school kid with a ton of talent, uh, but teams don't really know where that talent lies. And I think that's why he ended up falling so much. However, if you follow him on social media, you know he's incredibly excited to be drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers. He was actually uh, at a... Or I'm not sure if he was playing for uh, PG, which is kind of the elite version of the scouting traveling baseball teams where teams in the summer will go play for against better competition and some of the best players in the world. And he goes, there's a video where he goes, walks down the hallway and then slaps his hand on the Brewers and picks them as the team that's going to draft him. Uh, and mm-hmm. on social media, he was very excited about being drafted by the Brewers. Um so I do think that there's a good chance they can sign him just based on his willingness to go out and play baseball. And because of that, and because of saving money earlier, they might be able to end up with a gigantic steal of Miles Austin. Uh, I think the big concern with him is there's a decent amount of swing and miss in his game. But his basic swing, it looks great. Uh, his size and athleticism show the potential for a, a plus offensive shortstop or a pretty good third baseman. Um, the only or a second baseman because his arm strength might not be there. Uh, I mean, he could have like really good power and be a really good offensive third baseman just by looking at the tool set that he currently has. He's committed to Alabama, which norm is a big football school, but not the biggest of baseball schools in terms of top colleges. Um, they just haven't had the same success that uh, their peers and competition has had recently in that area. Uh, but he could be a five-tool infielder with his plus speed, great defensive instincts, and if he adds more weight to his six-foot-three frame where he only weighs 180 pounds, uh, could have very good power. He could be quite a sneaky draft pick for the Milwaukee. Generally, when you see players who are ranked in a top 500 or top 200 go in the 20th round, it means that there's signability issues. They aren't going to sign it. And the team doesn't feel confident about it based on what I've seen some other people say and put out there. It does seem like miles Austin is interested in signing. It's just, are the brewers going to have the draft capital to meet his number and get him into the organization? All right, round number 23, they get another high school kid. He's from uh, Missouri. His name is Carter uh, Rustad. He hit 97 at a tournament in Arizona. He's consistently pitching in the mid-90s. 
Uh, I believe he's committed to San Diego, so he's not committed to a Power Five. Pro- I'm not trying to say, hey, if I, it's San Diego, I get it, but it's it's he's not committed to a Power Five school, but he's drafted the 23rd round. What's going on here? Um. I do think this one does have more of a signability issue. Like I said, when you're looking at players who are on those top prospect lists and he was 168 in B's uh, top 500 and 121 in MLB Pipeline's top 200. Um, and I think of the two who are always more likely to sign, I think it's Miles Austin because his number is likely lower. Um, Carter Rustad, I think he's going to go to San Diego and try to, um, he's someone who, because his draft velocity or his velocity heading into the draft didn't stick hot or long into games. He wasn't ranked as highly as some of his high school peers. He has an elite basketball in the making, but he needs to mature and be able to get it or build up the strength to keep that velocity consistently into games. Because when you're talking the middle of the late innings, he was throwing lower 90s. Um, And he, you know, is kind of a scout stream in that he has high spin rate and all those new age type assets that you really look for in pitchers, or I shouldn't say a scouts team, but a front office's dream or scout stream front office's dream. I know how to talk. Um, that's what the broadcast agrees for. He, <laughs> so right now teams are kind of worried that he is a reliever and he can go in and substantially increase his draft stock by going to San Diego and having a lot more success holding that pitchability longer into game where he can be a first-round pick later on. So I do not see him being one of those surprise signees. But if he is, we should all go and pop some champagne and celebrate that the Brewers really got a steal. Last one to get to, unless there's somebody you want to add later. Uh, We'll go to the 35th round, another JUCO kid from Alvin Community College in Texas, middle infielder listed as a shortstop in uh, Odrick Petrie. Yeah, so Petrie is someone who I've actually had the pleasure of talking to already. Um, I think he he pleasantly snuck through thanks to his junior college um, background. Light hitter um, in terms of extra bases, but pretty good speed and pretty good defensive instincts uh, at Alvin Community College. Uh, Makes good contact with the bat. Um, is a solid middle infielder and still has a way to go in terms of projectability with the frame. I know we, but basically what that means is when you see a guy who's six two, six three, six four, and they are wiry as heck, but then you look and you're like, okay, there are areas where he is naturally going to increase muscle in those areas of his body. And if we concentrate on increasing muscle, getting him a pro- an appropriate diet and really building him up, he's going to increase more power. Um, and Petrie definitely fits into that category. Um, he already doesn't have elite speed, uh, probably ends up moving to second base or third base uh, as he progresses through the system. But I think, again, he's just someone that teams, for whatever reason, aren't watching. And he walks like all get out. He led his uh, division in walks, uh, 41 in 100 walks and 160 plate appearances. Huge on base guy, um, where he was a walked or his on base was 470. So just outrageous, very low strikeout numbers, good eye at the plate. And I think if he fills out, he can become more of an offensive threat with just a very good eye. Um, and playing up in the middle, her in the infield, that's always very valuable. 
everybody's always going to tell you that they won the draft, and you never, especially in baseball, it is years before you can really look back on a draft and figure out how you did it. And sometimes it's not even about those guys. It's about using those guys to go acquire other guys. And this is an odd draft for the Brewers because you combine them having so much success last year combined with them signing a Yasmani Grandal, combined with everything that results in kind of lower selections in the draft. They didn't have those high-value picks this year that they've had in the past. So all that considered, how do you feel about the job that the Brewers did drafting this year? I think given that they had the least amount of assets in terms of draft capital and number of picks that they've had the entire time Stearns has been in the front office, I'm very happy. I think they took guys that they view as very high talent and high ceiling players, uh, but who are signable for much better deals than the areas of where they picked them. Um, And they're going to capitalize on that. And I like the amount of dips into junior college where they take advantage of guys who want to get into professional baseball and were went somewhere else to work on their ability. Like we talked about, I'm very excited about the group of players that they got. Um, They're also fast risers who should her uh, older players who should quickly rise through the system and help restock a system that a farm that took a huge hit last year with all the trades that went through. Um, So I think they did a good job of addressing some needs and also um, helping try to even out some of the talent distribution that's currently happening in the minor league system where, and likely give them more trade capital when they'll need it in the next couple of years because of that. What do you think the Brewers are, and maybe we're going to go back to the uh, the narrative of finding guys that are not being found by other teams, uh, but what when you look at what the Brewers do from a draft perspective, what do you think they do especially well? Stick to their game plan, and I think that's what makes David Stearns a very successful GM thus far in his career, Is uh, and we talked about this before. When David sets a goal or sets a restriction or sets uh, an idea in his mind, he sticks to that. He doesn't, um, you know, outspend himself because he wants to go out and get a new toy. He sets his number. And if you go above his number and don't want to come down to his number, all right, see you later. And he does that with trades too. Um, and I feel like he's getting what he wants out of the trade her out of the, he's set up his organization to believe in the very same philosophy. So Ray Montgomery and his team now believe that too. And they're going into the draft and they're getting exactly what they want, where they want it. Um, and whether that's, you know, high ceiling that no one else is looking at and taking stats that other people aren't finding as important or locations that other people aren't focusing on or in focusing on lower velocity guys because they're undervalued and that benefits them in two ways because they sign for less and they, they can get high, better talent earlier when they take them like an Ethan small where he should have gone in the second round goes in the first, because I think they think he's a first round talent and he's going to be at a cheaper price. Um, I think they just stick to their game plan so substantially well and don't get moved based on anything else, based on whatever else they see. And like, even if someone falls in that range, they're not her and someone they were really high on it want to go with. They rather stick on their game plan because they know the payout and benefit later on in the draft is going to be substantially more rewarding for them. 
Um, so I think that's just as an organization, what he's done very well as far as just his game plan is his Bible. All right, last thing for you. Prediction, who's the first guy to make his major league debut out of the draft? Is it Ethan Small or is it somebody else? Out of this one, yeah, I'd go with Ethan Small. I just think he's going to rise too quickly in the draft. He has such a safe profile in how he is, and uh, you worry a little less about injury with him because of the Tommy John surgery already happening. Not that Tommy John isn't a risk and not that a second Tommy John can't happen because we know it can. But um, I think he's the guy who I look at and think, yeah, uh, he, he can burn through this system. Give me a plug for uh, everything you've got going on, whether it's already been posted or whether it's yet to be posted over at Brew Crew Ball. If you want to get scouting reports and learn about these players' personalities in their own words from their mouths based on the conversations I'm having with them, come to Brew Crew Ball. We already have Nick Bennett posted. We already have Gabe Holt posted. Coming this week, we have Nick Kale. We have uh, Darian Miller. We have Taylor Floyd. We have Brock Begg. We have... um, a couple other later round pitchers or players, Eddie Tavares. We have um, Peyton Long. Uh, you know, we're really t- trying to tap into all these players and make sure that you get a little insight into who they are, what they're doing. We'll continue with our scouting reports of some of the pitchers. Um, we have, of course, daily analysis of the minor leagues and whether it's just box scores, we're actually getting into what they're doing. Um, you know, one of the players having substantial success right now in the minors who hasn't before is Trent Grisham. And I want to do a little look deeper, look into why he's having success. So that can all be found at brew crew ball along with a ton of great content about the major league team. So, so it's not just miners, it's all things brewers, and I think we have one of the more talented writing staffs that have been on the site in some time, uh, which is saying something because a lot of talented uh, writers and uh, analysts have come from this website. All right, great stuff. I uh, encourage everybody to check out uh, what's going on over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. If you want to follow Brad on Twitter, uh, you can find him at Brew Crew Blue. Uh, Brew Crew Ball is at Brew Crew Ball on Twitter as well. Brad, this was fun. We'll talk to you again here in a couple weeks or so to do our normal uh, minor league roundup that we do. But uh, this was uh, fun to do this. Thanks for taking so much time and passing along so much information. My pleasure, and we'll see if we can't bump it over an hour for our split in half down on the farm review. (laughs) Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Really appreciate him taking so much time with us to go back through the draft and encourage you to check out everything that they've got going on over at Brew Crew Ball. Here's what's coming up this week for the Brewers. Two off days this week. They will not play on Monday and Thursday. In between those two off days, they will play a two-game Tuesday-Wednesday series in Houston. Really looking forward to the pitching matchup in game two of that series. It's going to be Brandon Woodruff against Justin Verlander. And then they'll head to San Francisco for a three-game series starting on Friday night. Zach Davies is going to pitch the opener of that series on Friday. Uh, Jimmy Nelson, we told you earlier, he had been pushed back. He'll uh, pitch again coming up in the Saturday game uh, as uh, they uh, get ready for that series. But that's where uh, that's what's going to happen. They're going to stay out west, by the way, going into next week as after they're done in San Francisco, they will then head to San Diego. 
That is it for this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Appreciate Brad Ford for joining us in what was really both our social media conversation and our Down on the Farm report. And we will talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.